Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5, the place where each week I sit down with one person and roll through the records from their life and the stories behind them. Today I'm broadcasting from FBI's studio in Redfern and my guest is joining me from the comfort of her home. Each of us are coming to you from the unceded Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, so I'd like to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today I'm joined by comic, writer, trans queen and fixture in New York City's downtown queer community, Glace Chase. Glace has been in Australia since the beginning of 2020 because our good friend COVID has cancelled her show, Triple X, A Trans Love Story, multiple times. But the last two years have still been busy, as has the rest of Glace's life. And today we're going to talk all about it, from coming out as gay in front of a Christian group of bikies, to developing a drag queen slash tour guide business in New York City, to now exploring Australia's big things. And as always, we'll hear the songs that have soundtracked the big moments for Glace. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Great. Thank you for having me. So we refer to you as a New York City queen, but your life actually starts in regional Victoria. Tell me about that. Oh, you know, it was kind of interesting to say the least. Um, yeah, there's, there was, there's been a, a big journey, I guess. You know, I always kind of say that if on my gravestone, like the thing that is written is she got out, then that would be enough. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you got out in some really big ways. Your career has spanned the globe. Well, it has. You know, I made it, you know, in the end, I kind of traveled the world. And, you know, I, I first left, um, you know, I kind of became independent when I was um, 15, really, which is, you know, when I moved. Um, out of the country into Melbourne and then I just never really stopped traveling since um, which is a great way to find yourself I think and uh, figure out what you want to do in life and who you want to be and the mm. adventures you want to have but um, yeah but country Victoria especially you know it, it was it was rough yeah yeah and I, I mean you are a trans performer you live in society as a woman mm-hmm. was there a turning point when you were growing up when you thought you might be trans um no not really I, it's so interesting you know people kind of it's an interesting conversation the thing around transness um for me like my own transness was um kind of a slow evolving thing there was never like an aha moment but you know as a kid i guess i just really um you know uh, while I was kind of surrounded by, you know, crap really and a pretty tough upbringing, I had a very overactive imagination. And so I was really very embodied with, um, you you know, I was kind of obsessed with, you know, pop musicians, female pop musicians, you know, Um, and um, and kind of these big, larger than life um, uh, people, uh, women, and uh, that kind of became a bit of a refuge, really. And, and we're talking like really crazy from, you know, from Adriana Zenides, like Wheel <laughs> of Fortune, like that hyper femme kind of, you know, service, you know, model kind of 
archetype right through to like badass rock and roll kind of um uh you know uh, uh, bitches like you know tina turner and then i, I remember <laughs> she, i remember and cindy lauper was a really big one for me too and I, I remember my first memory actually of like of watching a film clip was shakespeare's sisters stay D- just the drama of that film clip uh which is two women warring yeah. with each other um I just like, and she's in PVC to the 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 kind of evil one. I just remember that just imprinting on me so strongly. <laughs> it's funny. It seems a lot more nuanced than the the narrative you often hear about someone realizing their trans identity. It's more like I have these female role models, and this is something that I aspire to one day without having that conscious idea about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, in a way, like there was no cognitive dissonance for me that I kind of wasn't that like inside me I mean clearly uh, you know in society and growing up it was a bit tougher but in my head in my the world I created for myself it was um I, I kind of always saw myself as that Sadly, it did take a while. You know, I, I kind of went through a lot of pitfalls in, in life. I, you know, at, at one point I, I thought that I couldn't be that. And then, and then I realized that was a lie. You can be whatever you want to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but your, your coming out as gay was way less subtle than that, Glace. Tell me that story. Oh my God, that was a great, yeah, I'm really proud of this actually. Cause yeah, I was pretty, um, you know, I've always known my own mind and I've always been very kind of badass and bullshit uh, without even know that, knowing that I'm doing it, you know? And so um, it would have, you know, uh, at my school, I will never forget, I would have been in about year 10, I think. And um, uh, the God Squad, which is a Christian biker gang, came to speak at the school, which um, was as horrific as you can kind of imagine. And, um, and I remember they were asking questions, like, you know, people were asking questions, like they had little cards that people would write down the questions. And so um, one of the questions that um, they, uh, someone had asked was, um, is homosexuality a sin? And everybody immediately just turned and looked at me. Um, and I was like, what? No, I didn't write it because I wasn't out. But, and I didn't write that question. And then this guy, one of the, like one of the gods, the head of the God Squad, he was an a-hole. Um, he just gave this most homophobic, like reprehensible kind of answer. Just like, you know, um, you know, it's a lifestyle choice, but you know, you should never put things in holes that they don't belong. And I just thought I was, I was so affronted that he, he was making it out to be this big choice. So I just stood up and I said, I'm gay, but I don't think it's a choice. Like, <laughs> why would I choose this <laughs> for myself? And, um, and of course, the, like, the entire jaws of everybody in that assembly room dropped and then it just ripped around school in about, you know, three seconds. And from that moment on, I went and got a big, you know, rainbow sticker and put it on my, my locker and, and bought a pair of glitter jeans and <laughs> was very in your face gay from that moment on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess that kind of speaks to the Glace Chase that we know today is this unabashed performer. And at this point in your life, 
Did you know what you wanted to be? I mean, kind of. I mean, I wanted to be an actor, I think. Um, you know, I was very into theatre and, and, um, and performance. And I mean, I think in my dream, I wanted to be a singer, like a badass singer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that seemed... <laughs> I couldn't sing, for starters. <laughs> so that kind of didn't got in the way of that. But, um, yeah, no, acting was really my passion. I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, while you don't think that you're a badass singer, I want to jump to a song by an artist you referred to as a badass bitch earlier in the show. It's Tina Turner teaming up with Jimmy Barnes. Tell me about the song you've picked. Oh, simply the best. Again, I remember like this um, in my family, which, you know, was very working class, really. And, you know, my, my dad was, you know, um, you know, fitted tires and my stepdad, you know, worked as a crane operator um so it was it was very kind of rock and roll cold chisel kind of um environment and i was definitely more like tina turner so simply <laughs> the best with tina and jimmy barnes that was sort of more acceptable i guess in my um in my household and i had a big fondness for tina turner so yeah i love this song you're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 with me, Mia Hull, and Glace Chase. This song is Simply the Best by Tina Turner and Jimmy Barnes. Just as long as I'm here in your arms, I could be in no better place. You're simply the best. Better than all the rest. It was Tina Turner teaming up with Jimmy Barnes on FBI Radio 94.5. The song was called Simply the Best and the chooser of that track was my guest on Out of the Box today, Glace Chase, who is a comic writer, fixture in New York City's drag community and now actor in her own show, Triple X. Glace, the first part of the show has been set in Victoria, but I want to take things over to London now. Where were you in life when you decided to move there? Um, I immediately decided to have a gap year and just, I wanted to get the hell out, quite frankly. Um, you know, one of the weird things about me is that, I mean, it's not weird, but it just was what it was, um, is I, you know, I always looked super young and so, but I was always quite, quite smart, you know, but so in a way there was like a five year gap between the way I was thinking and the way I was perceived. So in many ways, you know, I'd kind of really been spoken down to and, and overlooked. Um, uh, and London was a chance for me to break out on my own, by myself, and set up my own life and, and be myself as I wanted to be it. Um, and I leapt at the chance, quite frankly. <laughs> um, when you say living your life the way that you wanted to live your life, what did that look like? Well, at that point, um, it was being, uh, you know, a little gay boy, really, running around town <laughs> and causing trouble. And it's so funny, you know, at that age, when you're 18, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You kind of look like a girl anyway. <laughs> 
So the, mm. I, I wasn't really like, gen, I didn't really have gender dysphoria or anything like that at that point because, you know, I was, it, it was very acceptable to be feminine. And so I was living my life. I would be out clubbing, you know, all night, every night. And then I was working as a secretary, you know, in an office for a little bit when you're just doing office temp work. And then I became an escort. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, screw this. Um, you know, I remember saying to a friend, I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, so I may as well get paid for it, which <laughs> is... I mean, it's fair logic, but it's like it's there is a pragmatic, logical quality to it. I don't think I really mm. understood what the extent of what that meant. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I went and did that. And what a great way to own yourself, own your body and figure some stuff out, actually. Yeah, it's almost like a reclamation for the first half of your life or, you know, the first 18 years of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it really was about, um, yeah, like, uh, just breaking out of who everyone kind of assumed I'd be and, and the kind of powerlessness that I felt, I guess. It's like, I'm here. I can do things on my own. Just watch me. And um, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> when you look back on that period of your life do you look back at it fondly I actually really do you know I mean it's not like it was all roses you know it's <laughs> I mean I was 18 and I looked 14 slash 15 um mm. escorting you know there was some rough times there but Overall, I look at it and I'm like, wow, I did that. And that's powerful. And the lessons I learned, you know, even the bad times, I've, they've not really scarred me. Um, you know, there, there was a bit to process, but they didn't. I look back on it and I feel like, yeah, that was, you know, there's, there's good life lessons where you learn and you feel that was good. I look at it, at that and I'm like, yeah, that was good. Mm. And and you said in your adolescence, you kind of always saw yourself as maybe doing some kind of performance, not so much singing because you didn't have the voice. But being on stage, was any of that happening while you were in London? No, not really. I mean, escorting is a kind of performance. <laughs> but mainly I was on the, you know, when I wasn't like working or hooking, I was on the dance floor, carving it up, living my best life and getting very, very drunk and causing all sorts of mischief. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess all of these things are ingredients to the performer that you would become later in life, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But first, a song. What's the next one you've picked, Glace? I'm so excited for this when I was thinking about like, <laughs> the story of my life and whatnot. It wasn't the first song that came to mind. And then when I remembered it, I was like, oh, yes. She's been in the media quite a bit, and I will never forget. She was one of my like one of my big kind of adolescent pop crushes, and I remember dancing to this song in a cheesy little gay bar in Soho. It's Britney Spears' "Overprotected."
You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming via the website or the podcast, that song was Overprotected by Britney Spears, and it was chosen by my guest on the show today, Glace Chase, whose life has been dotted with so many things, from comedy to writing to acting to escorting and becoming a fixture in Brooklyn's drag scene. Glace, where we left things, you were 18, living your best life in London. Where did you go after that stint? Um, so I actually was, you know, I did some time all around, the, you know, I, was, I did a lot of traveling in Europe and then um, uh, um, in uh, America as well. And then I made it back to Sydney um, where I was studying and then I kind of fell into the um you know the theater scene i guess in in sydney and did um uh, yeah and uh started writing eventually when you say you fell into the theater scene how did that happen um well i'd been studying acting at the time and which was always my passion you know but um uh i think that i understood pretty quickly that I was never going to um, make it as an actor uh, as in you know I was never even really going to get in the room just because my look you know there's there was just zero castability in it um, and I hadn't transitioned at that point either but so you know no one really had there was like zero chance that a you know an effeminate gay boy would um, ever get any acting work so but I still wanted to be involved in the industry so that's how I started writing plays. And you've been pretty successful in writing plays. Glace walk me through some of the peaks in (laughs) in this space. Yeah you know I I had some big early success. Um, I won you know quite a few awards and was shortlisted for a lot of others. Um, My first play uh, went to New York City, which is probably what, you know, I'd been to New York, but, you know, I'd spe- I spent, like, you know, a, quite a chunk of time there when when uh, my play went there. And, uh, yeah. Was there a part of you that, I don't want to say sad or disappointed, but you dreamed of becoming an actor and being in the spotlight. Were you missing that when you were doing all this behind-the-scenes work as a writer? Yeah, unquestionably. Um, you know, like, I, I mean, I really do enjoy storytelling. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, for the, for the time that I was doing it, I enjoyed um, playwriting as well. But, um, you know, being a writer is kind of like planning a party, but not getting to go to the party. And I actually wanted to be the party. <laughs> Um, and I don't, and I think that kind of ended up catching up with me, you know, and, um, I, I certainly had a lot of, you know, I had some opportunities, but being an artist in any field is incredibly difficult. Um, and being a writer, um, you know, is, is very difficult and there's so many knockbacks. And I think the thing with like art is you've got to really love it. You know, you've got to feel compelled to do it. And writing for me just is so difficult. It kind of drains my life force from me. And you can do that mm. for a year or two, but you can't do that forever as your life. 
And so when the opportunities, you know, I was kind of trying to move into TV, I guess, and you just do meetings and stuff. But I, I just realized I was never going to be successful at this. If I, I, I could do it, but what it would have taken from me was just way too much. And I didn't want to give myself like that. That's, that's not what I wanted to do. What do you think your life would look like if you had have stayed in that space? Um, I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, I would have been in a very, you know, I went on to live a very colourful life and I didn't, you know, and really um, have a lot of colourful adventures which really feed my soul. I think if I'd chosen a different path at that point, you know, which many, many of my friends have, and I think it's great, you live a more conventional life, it's a little bit more heteronormative, um, more uh, better paid, <laughs> uh, that's for sure. But, um, you know, uh, uh, and certainly at that time, I think the kind of stories that were being told were very straight and white and middle class. And it's just not a story I could relate to. Um, mm. You know, I just... I, can't tap into that two point, you know, three kids and white picket fence. I just can't. What kind of stories were you writing in that time then? Oh God, like one, like the last play that was produced, there were, you know, I wrote a, a few, oh God, like in some commissions that went nowhere. I did this really amazing uh, commission, uh, which was, you know, uh, for Bell Shakespeare, which was, um, you know, doing the cross-gendered comedies of Shakespeare, but doing it with, um, like, what we know through, like, a, f a queer and feminist uh, lens now. Like, it, I mean, it really, it was before, it, you know, it was before its time. Gender had not really taken on the, the role that it, that it had. Um, I, I did, I really, there's a play called A Hoax, which I really looked at identity politics about a literary hoax and who gets access to what story and what is truthful. And, and that's, I mean, in, it, it wouldn't get done now. It's very controversial, but, mm. but very smart too, you know? Um, tackling identity politic, uh, politics and the intersection, I think, of gender and sexuality and, and, and often minorities uh, trying to um, how they face you know a, a bigger world that's was the stories that I was telling yeah yeah you're telling these diverse stories you reach these successes the future doesn't look like it's going to be a space that you want to stay in and so you leave and in the next part of the show I want to talk about where you would go but first you've chosen a song by Blow Waves Glace tell me about this one Oh, yeah. So this is when, you know, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm friends with um, uh, uh, Byron from the Blow Waves. And I remember um, uh, they were in a band called Ghetto Pussy um, and then joined the Blow Waves. And I just remember being at, you know, the queer underground nights. And I remember when this um, came out and just being obsessed with it. And also identifying as the little bitch in the title. I mean, I really like this song. I really relate to it. <laughs> it's Little Bitch on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. <laughs>
was Blow Waves on FBI Radio 94.5. You're listening to Out of the Box with me, Mia Hull, and comic and writer Glace Chase. That song was called Little Bitch. Glace chose it. Um, and just before the song, we were talking about Glace's life as a screenwriter in Sydney and figuring out that it might not be for you and, you know, wanting to live a more authentic and colourful life. Where did that take you? So I always joked, you know, uh, at the time, I'm like, well, I guess I'm moving to New York City to figure out if I'm trans or not. And, but, you know, that was kind of true. And the answer to that question was a bit more um, probably complicated than I thought. But so I moved to New York City and I just became a drag queen because it was the only industry that I could think of that really wouldn't mind um, my gender. And also, too, it, it exists in a world that... Um, you know, where you can live your biggest, baddest, bestest self. It embraces that. And, mm. and also, too, not only does the industry not care about your gender, it embraces whatever your gender is. Um, so, you know, your relationship with an audience, like, that's what they're looking for. They want that from you. Uh, and, and so landing in Brooklyn... Um, uh, and Brooklyn has a really kind of thriving alt drag scene. Um, How does oh it God. differ from the New York drag scene in general? Oh, God. So, like, you know, there's, I mean, there's, because New York's so large, there's quite a few different, like, drag um, scenes. You know, there's the, um, you know, Midtown Hell's Kitchen, um, you know, pageanty. Oh, it's not really, pa- like, kind of Broadway, um, Broadway, it's slightly page- pageanty kind of drag where everyone's a lot more, like, you know, better put together. Um, you know, uh, probably what, you know, would be considered a more conventional drag queen in Australia. Whereas Brooklyn was real, like, trash, you know? <laughs> um, like, just, you know, you'd smear on some eyeshadow and just, like, pop out the door and, and go. And, and, it, it, yeah, so that was really, it's, it's kind of fun. And, and, you know, like at that point, you know, a lot of queens were transitioning to like some of the big names. Like we all, kind of, it's so funny actually. I mean, the, like I remember landing there and you become friends with people. And it's funny, there were like probably five of us I could think of that, you know, that you could kind of see the gender question in. And it was really interesting how, you know, one by one, we all transitioned. And yeah, it it, it was great. (laughs) Did you have any role models helping you navigate that space at the time? Yeah, look, I think, um, oh God, my my good friend Linda Simpson, you know, she was a real, um, you know, she became a real, you know, accidental mentor, you know, she She's, um, you know, she's a, a contemporary of Rue. She's a, she published, um, mm-hmm. she, she used to take all these photos, you know, these um, of the parties in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, that Rue before Rue was Rue is, is, is in. And, um, but she's a really an amazing hostess, um, like does bingo nights that, I mean, everyone kind of slams bingo, but I love it. And her nights are just like theatrical genius. And so, in, in a way, her kind of performance style was a really um, a great lesson for me because, you know, she's very kind of stripped back and, um, 
authentic and uh, uh, but but really pithy and sassy. She has a similar relationship to an audience that I kind of do. So she was really she became a real good um, mentor, I guess, in how to do it. And that kind of led me to bigger gigs and, and probably more confidence actually just to, to figure it figure it out myself and go make it myself. And let's talk about those those bigger gigs you mentioned because you developed mm. a very interesting structure for a drag show glaze. Tell me about that. Oh, I did. So I started what I th- you know, was the world's first drag queen tour guide business, Dream Queen Tours. <laughs> um and it was just like a big new venture, you know, and, and in it, in the end, like the, the tour became this like really drunken pub crawl walking tour of Greenwich Village where um, you kind of um, uh, just roamed the streets and I gave the like underground LGBT history of the village. But this tour was really like, honestly, I look back on it. I'm so proud that I did it. It's, it's such a, it was such a shambolic event. And, you know, you'd meet in a bar, you'd stop in a bar along the way, and um, and you'd finish in a bar. And somehow these stories that I would tell, I just managed to find them in the people that would pass by. So it was sort of like this live interactive comedy event that you just never really knew where it was going to go. And so people would come on this tour and just be like, this is the best thing that I've ever done in New York because it's so random yet so authentic. Mm-hmm. And then you'd just get really drunk as well. And, and part of it that made it so great is we just come across people on the street and I just stop and talk to them. And it's just amazing, like, the stories that you'd, you'd get out of people. Like, at one point, like, there's a sixth precinct um, cop station. <laughs> I remember at one point I was doing a bit on, like, you know, like, the gays being jailed. And somebody walked, like, this couple walked past a very kind of, you know, white put together couple and I'm like Mm. when was the last time you were in jail and she she turns and looks at me and she says about five years ago and her boyfriend (laughs) just looks at her and is like what you're in jail (gasps) no (laughs) (laughs) I'm like what and it turns out that she like was in Mexico and she jumped in a fountain naked and then she had to like spend a night in the lockup because she (laughs) like just like kind of great stuff like that yeah you can't you know? script that stuff <laughs> no you can't it's so much fun to, to to do that and was this the only shape that your drag was was taking or were you performing in any other way oh no I was doing like I was also hosting bingos which I mean the way my gigs work is it's basically therapy basically I'll just jump on a mic and bitch about my day um and mm. somehow that like just turns out to be really compelling <laughs> Um, and but you know in another really big night of mine that ran for five years actually and you know hopefully might still run when I get back to New York uh, it's called Singaling which is like a comedy karaoke night and like uh, honestly I probably really found my voice there too actually that gig taught me how to sing like it taught me to actually find my voice but this you know I didn't view it as just like a karaoke night I viewed it as a um, you know, as an entertainment experience where I was tasked with making this work um, for whoever was in the bar. And so, um, 
you know, I'd curate that event really quite tightly. Not not in the sense like anyone could perform, but you know, there was no mu- <laughs> no musical theater. Um, mm. The you know our, our our catchphrase was no talent allowed, um, and the rule was I mean no one really knew this, but you know I I'd, I'd equalize the room. And if you were really good, I'd tell you you were terrible and kind of undercut you. If you mm. were really bad, I'd Humble lift them. you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> like, and not not in a bad way. Like they'd still be good, but you know, like they wouldn't get to own the space. That's not what it was about. This is a space yeah. for everyone. And um, <laughs> so, and you know, like so, I'd be crawling over the bar and you know pouring drinks down my leg and making people like like just wild stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much fun, you know. And that night would like God, it was like five hours, and I'd barely get a break. I was exhausted. My voice would be shot by the end of it. But God, it was so much fun. I think this is the perfect time to jump into a song, Glace. What's the next one you've picked? Um. I think it's uh, the psychedelic furs, Love My Way. Yeah. Mm. Tell me about this track. Um, well, this track in a way is a little, um, was, it was starting to, when I started to do a little bit of, a bit more writing again, because the project came along, it was one of the songs that was sort of linked, I guess, to um, my uh, uh, writing of that and just walking the streets of New York and I would listen to this song. It was right around the time, is it Call Me By Your Name came out and I will never forget um, Army Hammer doing that really pathetic dance to this song and (laughs) it made me laugh and I listened to the song on repeat actually, yeah. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Love My Way by The Psychedelic Furs. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. My name is Mia Hull. I am joined by Glace Chase, the chooser of that song, Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs. And when Glace was introducing that song, she talked about a return to writing after a stint working in New York City's drag scene. Let's talk about that return to writing, Glace. You're referring to your show Triple X, which you wrote while you were still in New York. Tell me about Triple X. Um, well, it's the first trans love story, I think, to ever make a main stage um, uh, in the world. And, you know, so like at my gigs, <laughs> I became notorious really for, um, well, sleeping with anyone that wanted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, but you know, like my, my night singling actually, you know, is in Tribeca, which is, you know, and... And, and, and mainly my work would be in straight bars too. So a lot of boys would come, straight boys would come through. And, and a lot of stories kind of became collected. And so a trans love story, um, uh, which was sort of based on my life because I had a couple of, of um, uh, experiences that grew into to a lot more. And um, 
and uh, one of my really close friends, Paige Rattray, came over to stay with me. And she's, you know, a bigwig director and stuff now. And I was telling her this, this, this story and she's like, there's a play in that and, I, and, and you should write it. And I said, no, I don't want to. And she's like, no, you should. And, and I thought about it because in a way, I think I, I said to you how I, you know, left. And in a way, I think that I should be the one to tell that story, you know, to, to uh, because, you know, no one had done a trans love story. I could tell that it needed to be done and a trans person should be the one to tell it. So I agreed to do it. So tell me about this love story. Can you give us a synopsis of what an audience member might see when they watch Triple X? Yeah, so Triple X is about a um, straight white Wall Street bro that has an affair with a trans performer and then his family finding out the day before he gets married. And yeah, Mm. and I get to star in it as well. I play the trans performer, strangely enough. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) I know! (laughs) Casting against type. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, you came back to Australia to perform that glaze. Why did you do that? Well, I mean, it was programmed at Sydney Theatre Company and Queensland Theatre. So this is, you know, it's it's a big deal. I was very touched. And so um, I... um, you know, and I wanted to perform in it. I'm like, God damn it, it's my story. Um, mm. I get to be the one to tell it. And uh, so, so that was all happening. And so I got back um, late January of 2020 to be here for six oh, months. Amazing timing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so obviously that impacted the show. What, yeah. what happened? Well, I mean, it was funny, actually, because like, when I flew back, I think it was the 29th of January, like COVID had, like we knew, like it was co- called the coronavirus, you know, we, we knew what it was and it was around, but, um, you know, obviously we didn't know where it would, what it would really do. But <laughs> my, my final night in New York, I had this big going away party. And, um, and of course it was very, very trashy and I'd done a bunch of blow. So I was... <laughs> I was on the plane and I just had like the worst case of the Hollywood flu, like as in, you know, I was just sniffling and sniffling because, and so everyone is shooting me these dirty looks because, and I'm like, I promise it's just like I had a really big night. So I got back, so I come back here and then we rehearsed and then we'd um, like, we did, you know, a month of rehearsals and then we, you know, drove up to, to Brisbane to open the show. We're in previews and the lockdown happened. That wouldn't be the first time that Triple X got canned due to COVID, would it? No, we got canceled four times, three whilst in production, meaning we we're either in, we we're either in performance, in previews or the last time we were in dress rehearsals. So like oh. that. So I basically had to go on a diet three times in the last two years. It's, oh, my goodness. I know, because then, of course, you get really depressed after, so you just, like, comfort eat. So then you go, mm. like, way back up, and then you're like, crap, then you've got to lose it again. I'm, like, in the yeah. losing phase right now again. I'm like, oh, my God, you're, you're in the losing me. phase again because <sighs> it might happen the fifth time round it's gonna happen it's gonna happen I can feel it in my bones it's gonna happen from January 6th until the end of Feb um we open at Sydney Theatre Company Triple X is finally going to be seen in Sydney after 
quite a lot of years of development. I'm so glad that it's about yeah. to make its, its, its very overdue debut. <laughs> yeah, and tickets to that are on sale right now. I'll put a link to that one up in the programs page on fbiradio.com. But, Glace, the, the two years leading up to, well, you know, the two years of constant cancellation and weight gain and weight <laughs> loss weren't just <laughs> spent mulling over triple x you've developed another show in that time tell me about that well you know this is kind of what's you know it's you like with COVID with a lot of us you try and see the silver lining but it's always really hard i can safely say that this COVID experience this show would not have happened without this COVID experience which was i was stuck in brisbane and i was going insane and so i decided to do a road trip and essentially for most of the year last year i was living out of my car and staying in um, hostels and I started to become really obsessed with the big things um, and so I started traveling all around Queensland seeing them and kind of had this amazing experience I guess because I'd always I mean I'd, I'd spoken about how um, uh, you know kind of my rough my childhood was and I just didn't have a really great relationship with Australia and in a way I just was forced to deal with that and discover this amazing kind of side of Australia and this aspect to Australia that I'd never really um, considered. And, you know, there's something about sleeping in your car in the outback that's really clarifying and Mm. actually strangely fun. And so it's like, it's like I felt like I got my life back. And, and so I'm doing a solo show um, called Glace's Big Things, which is just basically about uh, that adventure and there were a lot of adventures on the way. When you say big things, I, I should clarify, you're not talking about big things in a metaphorical sense, but like the big Penises. Items. Well, Mia, those <laughs> two, those two, there were quite a few. I'm more just like the big prawn or the big ram or like the big pineapple. Yes. Donned no, across Australia. <laughs> yes, no, you are right. Like, and the, you know, Just the to big... make that clear, how, how do you turn those into a comedy show? Well... I mean, they've each kind of got a, a story behind them, you know, and and then there's the story around them in the town and the people you meet there. And then, you know, like the big things are kind of weird, like they're kind of brushed aside, but they do something really interesting um, psychologically to people, like, because they're just sort of there and mm. we we dismiss them, but we still talk about them and think about them. And when you look at one, you're just like, so, you know, and they could, some of them are really brilliant and some are really terrible, but they started to really like play in my mind. And, um, and so I guess that's, you know, and, and they became a bit of a metaphor of, of my journey through Queensland, you know, sleeping with, <laughs> sleeping out of my car and with truckers <laughs> and truck stops. <laughs> And unfortunately, Glace's Big Things has just wrapped up in Sydney, but you're taking the show to Adelaide Fringe Festival in March 2022. So watch this space. Glace Mm -hmm. Chase, what does the future hold for you? Um, Well, I think on next year after Adelaide, um, it's time to go back to New York and get my life back again, which I've really missed. And but hopefully, um, you know, keep working on these kind of projects like and and 
tour big things, get Triple X to New York finally, get big things all around the world and tour that show. That's kind of uh, the plan. Um, and if that all falls over, you just find me on the end of a bar top uh, being happy, which is, is <laughs> really good. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box, Glaze. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What song would you like to wrap up the interview with? Well, this song is, you know, when I was driving around Queensland, I um, had... Um, a uh, you know just you know have triple J or whatever on and this song kind of come up and then I just became obsessed with it and <laughs> when I was out in the desert like this song would come on and then I'd start playing it and I'd just stop and I'd like go and naked dance in the desert I could like and I would feel very free and very wild and this song I did <laughs> it too it's called Midnight City by M83 Great. A beautiful visual to wrap things up with. It's, yeah, Midnight City by M83. And if you did want to catch Glace's show, Triple X, a trans love story she wrote and stars in, it's happening at Sydney Theatre Company from January 6th next year. Tickets for that one are on sale right now, and I'll put a link to it on the programs page on fbiradio.com. While you're on the programs page, you can listen back to this show or you can listen back via the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in and Stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner.